Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Spooky Gals, the podcast where we explore all sorts of real-life paranormal and creepy occurrences, from ghost sightings and hauntings, to reported alien and cryptid encounters, myths, folklore, legends and more. Every week we cover a different true spooky story. We're your hosts, I'm Katrina. And I am Jasmine. Good evening from Hong Kong. Good morning from the UK. As always. Yes. Oh, goodness me. How are you, Jasmine? Oh my goodness. I'm okay. I'm, I just realised that it's March next week and I'm kind of freaking out yeah, now. Yeah, that's stressful. It's very confusing. I swear yesterday was the 1st of January. Mm. So, what the fuck, huh? What the fuck? What the fuck, <sighs> indeed. How about you, Katty? How are you doing? As usual, just doing work. Very, very confusing. And I want to sleep. Oh. That's all. Yes. So tell me tell me about today's episode. This is something that I randomly came across. I've never heard of it before. Um, and it, it was actually so obscure that I had to look at books to find information about it which Mm. is unheard of in this internet age. Granted, the books were digitised, but but still. Still. But still. So, tell me more about it. I am intrigued. So, it's basically like something out of a classic horror film. But I don't want to spoil it for you right now. Okay. So I'm just going to get into it. So is there no title? You didn't come up with a title for this? I've come up with the title, The Curse of the Not-Quite-Mummy. <laughs> the Curse of the Daddy! <laughs> <laughs> the Curse of the Non-Binary Parent! <laughs> okay, right, let's carry on. Okay. So my sources for this were strangeco.blogspot.com, mysteriousbritain.co.uk, which was like so super helpful. Like this wouldn't exist without that. So I just really want to say thank you to them. Shout out, please. Mm. Shout out. The Seatonfamily.com. Haunted stuff, demonic dolls, screaming skulls, and other creepy collections by Stacey Graham. I, I wanna buy incredible. that. Incredible. <laughs> that sounds amazing. And Deeper Into the Occult by Peter Underwood. Mm. Ever since the world-renowned archaeologist Howard Carter famously discovered the long-lost tomb of the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun in November 1922, crowds of Western travellers have flocked to Egypt to witness and explore the historic ancient ruins and relics that can be found there. Among these travellers were Sir Alexander Hayes Seaton, the 10th Baron of Abercombe and armour-bearer to the Queen, and his wife Zayla, who, in 1936, journeyed from their native Edinburgh, Scotland, to Cairo to tour the wonders of Egypt for themselves. Egyptomania had gripped Europe for centuries before Carter's discovery, which merely renewed interest in it. And indeed, the Victorians in particular were obsessed with one of the most bizarre and grotesque practices of the 19th century, Mummy unwrapping parties. <laughs> what the fuck? 
These unwrapping parties were exactly as they sound. Victorian elites would purchase an ancient Egyptian mummy to be the showpiece of their party, and the mummified body would be slowly unwrapped in front of their fascinated, delightfully horrified guests. So, it was no surprise that when the Seton's guide Abdul told them that some nearby tombs had been recently discovered, and that, for an extra fee, his brother could arrange for them to visit one, the Seton's gladly agreed to such a unique opportunity. Of course they did. The next morning, Abdul led the couple around the back of the Great Pyramid where the newly opened tomb was located, and they descended down the rough stone steps into the funeral chamber where archaeologists were still working to excavate the site. There, lying on a stone slab, they saw the remains of a pre-mummy era body supposedly belonging to a girl of high status, perhaps even a princess. For the last four or five thousand years, the tomb had been filled by water and mud from the Nile, which, when it receded, had taken most of the skeleton with it, leaving behind only a skull, leg bones, a few ribs and an almost fully intact spine. While Zayla was fascinated by the remains, staying behind to examine them more thoroughly, Alexander was mournful at the thought of the life and death of the anonymous ancient girl in front of him, and was ready to escape the dark tomb and return to the sunlight outside. Feeling that the place seemed sacred and shouldn't have been disturbed, he muttered a quick prayer to himself before climbing the steep stone steps back up to the land of the living. On the way back to their hotel, It was suggested that they should stop at a souvenir stand near the pyramid, but to Alexander's surprise, Zayla declined, stating that she had already acquired a much better memento from the trip than any that could be purchased from a street vendor. Did she steal a piece of the fucking mummy? That's why she didn't want a trophy! Sneaky bitch. Later that evening, she revealed her prized memento to her husband, a small bone that she had stolen from the tomb. Sir Alexander was unimpressed with his wife's ill-gotten gains, and, writing many years later in his unpublished autobiography, The Transgressions of a Baronet, stated that it looked like a digestive biscuit except more concave and shaped like a heart. Shaped like a digestive biscuit. Cue every American saying, what's a digestive biscuit? The bone was in fact a sacrum bone. The triangular bone at the base of the spine, which forms the back of the pelvis. Alexander was aghast and told Zayla to put it away and they continued on their holiday without another thought of the horrific keepsake until they returned to their Edinburgh home in Lermouth Gardens a few weeks later. During a dinner party one evening, they were discussing their recent visit to Egypt with friends, when Zayla produced a number of souvenirs from the trip to show off to their guests, chief amongst them the heart-shaped bone. The somewhat gruesome relic was placed in a small glass display case, 
and passed around for the friends to admire. Much to their intrigue and amusement, while the couple told them all about their journey into the newly uncovered tomb. The atmosphere of the evening was cheerful until, just as their guests were leaving, a large section of roof parapet crashed to the ground, nearly crushing the Setons, and undoubtedly leaving everyone involved wondering if the incident had anything to do with the gruesome relic that had been brought back from Egypt. Understandably shaken, the couple left the bone in its display case on the drawing room table and tried to put the near miss out of their minds. I'm sorry, this this guy can't have been too concerned with the death of this young girl if he was like, okay, wife, that's fine, show it to our friends. Like, you, he's clearly not very sorry. Yeah, but I, she, he's clearly not very sorry. You'll for see that she very much wears the pants in this relationship. I can tell because she literally was like, you know, I'm going to take this bone and my husband won't do shit. These were the 1930s. Women had no rights. <laughs> and she's just there like stealing bones and shit. And he's like, okay, okay, I guess. Nothing more seemed to occur until a few nights later when, after the household had gone to bed, their young daughter's nanny, Miss Janet Clark, came running into the couple's bedroom to say that she could hear someone moving around in the drawing room and was fearful that an intruder had broken in. Alexander went to investigate, but found nothing out of the ordinary. He returned upstairs to calm Janet down and assure her that no one else was in the house, attributing her panic to a combination of her overactive imagination and the heavy rain outside. They all returned to bed, but later that night Alexander suddenly awoke after thinking he heard a crash, but ignored it, assuming it to have only been part of a dream. He didn't think any more of it until the following morning, when Zayla accused him of having been careless when he'd gone downstairs during the night, as she had discovered the table in the drawing room on its side, the small glass case lying empty next to it, and the bone in the middle of the floor. Alexander knew that he hadn't knocked the table over, but apologised to his wife anyway, deciding that it must have been standing unevenly on the floor and was simply knocked over by vibrations from the traffic outside. The activity in the house gradually got worse over the next few weeks, and the family began hearing disturbing noises, unexplained bangs and loud footsteps throughout the house. When Alexander's nephew, Alistair Black, came to stay for a few days, he calmly announced one morning that he had seen a funny-dressed person going upstairs after he had gone to use the downstairs lavatory in the middle of the night. He wasn't the only person to have seen this strange robed spectre, as the figure began appearing more and more frequently around the home, particularly during the night. Believing that there must have been a logical explanation, Alexander was concerned that a burglar was trying to break into the house, especially as they kept a collection of very valuable snuff boxes and other items in the drawing room. The next night, he resolved to stay awake to keep watch, and made sure to lock all of the doors and windows. After staying up for hours and hearing nothing, 
and beginning to feel foolish for being so paranoid in the first place, he decided to finally go to bed. Suddenly, he was awoken by Zayla's screams, as she could hear someone loudly moving around downstairs. A bit disorientated, he grabbed his revolver and quickly ran downstairs, where he realised that the noise was originating from the drawing room, but that it was still locked and he couldn't get in. He called up to Zayla to get the key, which was still in his suit jacket pocket, and she brought it downstairs while he stayed guarding the door. When they finally got into the drawing room, it looked as if someone had ransacked the place. Chairs were knocked over, furniture was moved, books had been flung off the shelves, and, to quote Alexander, there in the middle of the chaos was that damn bone, looking as harmless and more like a biscuit than ever. He quickly checked the windows, but, much like the door, they too were still locked. Now convinced that the unusual activity was somehow connected to the stolen bone, that it was cursed or had a poltergeist attached to it, Alexander announced to his wife that he was going to destroy it. This, however, resulted in an explosive fight between the couple, as Zayla didn't want to get rid of her exciting paranormal artefact, which she had been showing off to all of her friends. Tension within the household only increased as the activity became more frequent and destructive, and journalists who had gotten hold of the story began hounding the family, all of which only caused Alexander and Zayla to argue even more. During this time, Alexander even received a letter from none other than Howard Carter, who heard about their story and wanted to assure the family that things quite inexplicable like this could happen, indeed had happened, and will go on happening, unless something was done. Alexander finally decided that the bone needed to be destroyed, and, choosing a time when Zayla would be absent, he put his plan into action. Although not particularly religious himself, Alexander invited his uncle, Father Benedict of Fort Augustus Abbott, to assist him in the operation. Father Benedict blessed the ancient bone and performed an exorcism in an attempt to rid the home of its negative influence and appease any spirit that may be attached to it, before Alexander threw it onto the fire and ensured that none of it remained. After this, the strange activity seemed to stop altogether in the Seton home, but Unfortunately for the family, the detrimental effects of the ancient artefact apparently didn't end there. Zayla never forgave Alexander for destroying the relic, and their already strange relationship disintegrated further, resulting in their divorce in 1939. Both of them remarried, but, according to their daughter, Agidia, didn't seem to lead very happy lives, as each of them suffered from ill health, financial difficulties and depression before dying relatively young. While Agidia was only five or six years old at the time that this all occurred, 
she still distinctly remembered disliking the bone and feeling the disturbance that it caused within the home, stating that it was an evil thing and I have always believed that there was something in the curse. Sir Alexander Hayes Seaton often spoke of the relic and firmly believed that its supposed curse did not end with its destruction. To quote from the final page of his memoir, I can give no answer as to what caused these mysterious happenings, but to my mind, there was some strange power released that we humans are apt to laugh at, but which was oh so very real. Looking back on this experience, I still think that it was one of the most horrible experiences that I have been through, happening as it did both in the daytime and the night. My own interpretation of the matter is that through some uncanny power of religion it was brought under destructive control. But if, and I emphasise the word if, it really did carry a curse, as many people thought. The curse certainly did not end when I destroyed the bone by fire, and from 1936 onwards, trouble, sometimes grave, seemed to always be around the corner. Done. But who goes to someone's grave site and just An idiot. takes An a idiot. piece of their Katrina. body? It was the 30s. I'm sure they were doing, doing some strange things mm. back then. I don't know. It wasn't that long ago, but it feels like... Well, actually, it was 90 years ago. I mean, it's still kind of creepy that in museums now we go and see mummies. And it's like an actual I mean, person. But- but I love it. Least... I mean, I love going to see them, but it's still like... I love mummy music. Maybe morally wrong? <laughs> well, I don't think so. I think it's it's all in historic and scientific mm. pursuit. It's not, you know, to show off to your friends as a vain bauble of your travels yeah, that's abroad, true. right? It's, 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 it's a different purpose. And, and if I were a mummy, I'd rather a bunch of archaeologists take me clean me up, put me in a nice little box with, with all of my shit and let people gaze at me because I would love that. Like, yes, look at me forever. Perfect. Because if I were that girl dead in the cave and someone came and stole my tailbone piece, mm-hmm. I would be like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to break your house now. Yeah, that's true. But like with mummies and museums, it's like, that's not what they wanted. They didn't consent yeah, to it. Eternal rest. And yeah, they wanted an eternal rest. Yeah. So. But I mean, you know, I still, I still feel like you can, you can have your eternal rest in the safety of uh, the, the national service, whatever the yeah, fuck it is, true. whatever it's called, national trust. That's it. The national um, trust. I don't think the <laughs> national know. trust has any mummies. I swear, we went to an um, an Egyptology museum at. Um, in Liverpool, in like the town hall or whatever it was called. There's the World Museum that has mummies. Is that in Liverpool? Yeah. Then that's the one that we went to. Yeah, but that's not the National Trust. (laughs) I don't even know. It's it's the company that I work for. Oh, that's cool. I mean, I say this, but like, I've been to the Surgeon's Hall Museum in Edinburgh, and that is literally just... Loads and loads of dead people and body parts. I got such a gorgeous tote bag as well, which is only like four pounds. 
And I was like, oh, I got this. I got such a gorgeous toe bone. <laughs> like, no, Cassie. What have you just been through? <laughs> no, tote bag. Like you're you're not even allowed to take pictures. Yeah, well, I'm sure not. They're like disrespectful. Yeah, yeah. it's. I mean, do you I, know what I you would like? <laughs> I'm sorry. There was they had someone's leg. Okay. And this guy, he'd gotten an injury to his leg so that, like, this massive mass grew on it. And it was always infected. But he refused to have it amputated. Oh, my God. So his leg literally had a cork in it, in the hole, so that he could drain all of the pus out every day and, like, clean it. So it was, like, a massive, like, necrotic sort of cyst. Yeah, <gasps> so Delicious. he could like clean the inside of it and then put the Excavate cork back it. in, and he did oh that God, for years until eventually he had to have it amputated. What the fuck? And, That's like some. And they have the leg. That's amazing. And, Is it really gross? Yeah, it's Is pretty it really gross. Disgusting? And the cork's oh still in it, obviously. I need to see that. I need to. see Well, they had it like cork man. I think they'd cut it in half so you could see like <gasps> the massive like growth and like the inside <gasps> of it. And then the cork. Mm. I love diseases. I love them. I need to check that out. I think you'd love it. It was hardcore, though. But yeah, um, yeah. I, but I mean, I feel like you know, a museum is like if I were a ghost again, or like some kind of thing, I would be like, well, this is okay. Um, you know, like it wasn't what I had in mind, mm. but okay. And also, I was going to say as well the the notion of like your final resting place is a very sort of old-fashioned idea like because like that's where like things like um frankenstein and stuff came from right like the desecration of human remains Mm. was seen as such like a social taboo back then but these days people people's relationship with death is so different i don't think like in hong kong also it's very common so you 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 actually rent the grave you rent it Mm. and then they dig you up again because there's not enough room here to bury everyone. Like yeah. we have, we have like, you know, seven million people or something. It's crazy. Um, maybe more than that actually. I can't count. Um, and so yeah, they exhume the bodies after like thirty years and cremate them and put them into like a little pot. Yeah. Um, and then do away with it because again, like it's people don't have the luxury of space. Yeah. <laughs> to be you know respectful of the dead being lying in state, yeah. you know. It's just, uh, there's a lot of discourse surrounding the matter. Um, Yes, there is. Yes, there is. But yeah, a lot of different cultures have different relationships with death and how to treat the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Interesting. Fun times. Well, yeah, thank you, Catty. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. I I really enjoyed this one. I did, I did. Yes, it was awesome. I I hope you all enjoyed it too. Um, we we appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you very much. As always, we love you very dearly. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to have you back for next week's episode. If you want to get in touch for any reason, just to say hello or to send us a story of your own true paranormal or spooky experience, please email us at spookygirlspodcasts at gmail.com and also make sure to like and follow our Spooky Girls Facebook page as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also check us out on Twitter, at SpookyGirlsPod, 
and on Instagram at Spooky Girls Podcast. If you want to support us further, then you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash spookygirls. And from as little as $2 a month, you gain access to bonus episodes and other awesome content that we have planned for the future. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you all next time. Stay spooky. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.